Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Today, Lily's not joining us due to a, a bad cough she picked up somewhere along the road. But we have a really interesting interview with Melissa Matlow from the World Animal Protection. She's located in the Toronto office, but World Animal Protection is in 15 different countries. In Canada, there's a lot of trade in wild animals. That's not good for us. It's not good for the animals. I think you're going to find this quite interesting. And you're going to find out that even though we're a developed country and you would think, why are we trading in wildlife? It's happening. And we're quite often fueling that trade. Let's hear from Melissa. Outdoor Adventures. Melissa Matlow, she's the campaign director for World Animal Protection. She's located in Toronto, but World Animal Protection is way bigger than that. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, Lawrence. Oh, my pleasure. World Animal Protection is an international animal welfare organization. We have offices in 12 countries around the world. We work to uh, make animal welfare, uh, we put animal welfare on the global agenda. So we work at the global level at the United Nations, but we also work at a very uh, national level here, trying to work on um, trying to move governments and companies to uh, prioritize animal welfare, to pass legislation, to pass corporate policies that end animal suffering and make changes to animals' lives for the better. Yeah, and what caught my attention is is this campaign you guys have launched about ending the trade in wild animals. And that's um that's got a lot of people thinking, I think, you know, with the pandemic and and worrying about, you know, moving viruses around internationally, but mainly to I mean, that's our health, but then there's the welfare of the animals themselves. That's right. And this is a campaign that we started to prioritize during the COVID-19 pandemic. When we first started hearing about this new virus, we started looking into the potential origins and learned a lot about how not just COVID-19, but so many other uh, epidemics and big zoonotic disease uh, outbreaks um, stemmed from our treatment of animals, whether in a wildlife market or through the bushmeat trade like Ebola and HIV AIDS. And uh, we learned a lot and we started asking questions of the Canadian government and of experts working in the space and learned that Canada really does have a big role in the commercial wildlife trade. And just because the outbreak started in Wuhan doesn't mean that we don't have a role to play consumer demand for wild animals and wildlife products um, can can contribute to a trade that can create an outbreak that could then impact the rest of the world. So there's more that we can do. And we are we've been bringing this issue to the Canadian government. And we've also been participating in consultations now um, that are um, happening to start a pandemic, what they're calling a pandemic treaty or a UN pandemic instrument, which would really focus on pandemic prevention. At least that's what we're hoping it would do. Mm, and yeah. of course, we're raising concern about how many of the key drivers, the top drivers of pandemic risk are rooted in how we treat animals. Wow. So how we treat animals and their well-being. So if they're not, if they're stressed, if their uh, habitats being 
destroyed, if they're being put at risk, if their food supply and all that is being, you know, put at risk, then their health can start to suffer their physical health. And they're more prone to catch diseases, I guess. And then they're more prone to get in contact with humans when they're sick. And then we might catch those diseases. Is that uh, sort of the, the uh, loop there? That's it. Exactly. It's very similar to people when we're not well, when we're stressed, we're more vulnerable to catching something. Um, But in the wildlife trade, you it's not uncommon that you would see a whole bunch of different diverse animals from around the world in in the cargo section of an airport. That's what you see at a wild animal market as well. So it's also these different animals that wouldn't normally encounter each other in nature that are being close together um, and stressed. Um, that is really a hot spot for uh, the spillover, what they call the spillover of, of diseases from animals to humans. Um, and there's been a number of reports on this. There have been uh, UN reports citing the top drivers of pandemic risk. And it is, it, just as you said, habitat loss, um, which is primarily driven by intensive animal agriculture, which is another mm-hmm. industry that's rooted in animal suffering. Um, the commercial wildlife trade, um, climate change, uh, and a bunch of other issues that are really, uh, that need to be the focus point. We can't, we have to act now while the impacts of COVID-19 are still very real before we forget to prevent, or you can't prevent the next pandemic, but you can certainly do a lot to reduce the risk. So I'm thinking about different examples that pop into my mind about, you know, wild animals that are brought into Canada from other parts of the world. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, uh, birds, right? Parrots yes. and things like that. And, yep. and, and, and fish, marine fish, all those beautiful, pretty fish that we bring to put in our aquariums. Is there, is there other things that uh, we bring to Canada? We were surprised. We did an access to information request to get this data because it's not published anywhere. And it was quite a journey to get it, to get the data and make yeah. sense of it. Um, What we found is that between 2014 and 2019, more than 1.8 million wild animals were imported into Canada from 76 different countries, including known emerging disease hotspots. And 93% of these animals were not subject to any permits or pathogen screening. The vast majority were coming in for the exotic pet trade. So uh, birds and fish were definitely the, uh, among the highest, uh, mm. and reptiles as well. Reptiles, uh, amphibians, um, a whole number of different species coming in to supply this this trade. And then, of course, um, what we find as an animal welfare organization is a lot of people will buy these animals on impulse. They might assume that they're easier to take care of. And we saw a surge in this um, during the pandemic uh, Mm. where people might have had a single child and didn't know what to do with them and thought an easy pet to keep might be a snake. Uh, and then slowly they learn that it's not actually easy to take care of them properly. You do need to find specialized vets. Uh, you do need specialized equipment. And um, some of these animals get dumped in our environment where they can become uh, a threat uh, as an invasive species if they can survive. Um, yeah. With aquatic species, there's also the pathogens in the water uh, in the aquarium trade as well that could be entering our fresh water. So lots of concerns there. We do a lot of work with the Invasive Species Center here in Canada, and, and you know, we've just been working with them on a Don't Let It Loose campaign, mm. and the invasion of goldfish in, in uh, storm ponds around urban areas across Canada is just 
extraordinary. And now into the Great Lakes, Hamilton, Harbor, uh, Trout Lake up in North Bay even has a, an outbreak of goldfish in it. There's, it's, it's just an epidemic. It's very sad. Uh, it's it, it, this could cause such devastation to the ecosystem. We're seeing that with wild boars as well. I keep getting oh, yeah. Google alerts about wild boars that were originally raised for meat that are on the loose, and they're just they're really successful at taking over the environment and out competing with native species. Um, so lots of different risks to this trade. There's a famous picture of a wild boar, I think, in uh, Manitoba with a, a fawn, a baby deer in its mouth, you know, running for cover. Oh, I mean, these, these things eat anything, anything and everything. And they're fast and smart. Yep. But, yep. The, but this is, we're talking less about invasion, but in the trade and people, do we have these wild um, animal markets in Canada? So I guess we would, it, it depend not the same as what you would have seen in Wuhan, but we certainly do have wild animal markets in different places in Chinatown. Um, we also have, I guess our most popular version of a wild animal market is our exotic pet expos. Oh, wow. We have these, these are quite popular where people will go to, um, a, well, we have it at the convention centers here in the GTA and Mississauga near the airport, um, big exotic pet expo where people can see wild birds and reptiles and lots of diverse species and their children can touch all the animals. So if you're mm. a public mm. health expert listening, you know, that would make you cringe because these animals are also carrying things like salmonella, which, um, you know, can make people very sick. Oh, yeah. So, um, we really see animal welfare as an intersectional issue that there are solutions in animal welfare that not only help animals have a better life, but actually could protect public health, environmental health, uh, public safety, biodiversity, um, and address climate change. I, I, I think too about, uh, you know, I've been to one of these wild ex wild animal expos here in Ottawa with the family and, and I think, you know, we're going to go see raccoons and things. And you're right. I mean, there was animals there from a lot of live animals from not from Canada. And I was, I was surprised, but, and it was so popular. It was so people pay to get into this for their family, you know, something to do with the family. And they think it's very innocent, but I guess it's not that innocent because we're paying for this sort of behavior, right? We're incentivizing it. Absolutely. We're paying a big price in terms of the damage to our ecosystems, to the yeah. disease risks. Um, there were a number of uh, salmonella outbreaks across different provinces. I think it was last year and the year before uh, at reptile breeding uh, facilities. These are commercial breeders that raise uh, reptiles in, in this rack system. It's, it's quite oh. inhumane in terms of the, the living conditions for the animals. And that supplies the big pet retail chains like PetSmart <laughs> as oh. well. Um, so a lot of different types of businesses involved in this trade that we're trying to educate and inform and uh, get them to develop uh, animal welfare policies. And, and there is a lack of awareness. I think people understand perhaps better the suffering of animals like primates, maybe even cetaceans like whales and dolphins, but are slow to understanding the needs of reptiles and other animals. We call them the, the less charismatic species, but I disagree with that statement. I yeah. think they're fascinating and beautiful. Uh, but if you think about the common way people would see an image of a snake, it's likely in a, you know, a glass vivarium. Um, and so they, you, they would assume it's acceptable yet, you know, these animals can, they don't understand glass barriers and perhaps people don't notice that 
you know, in the short glimpse they have of these animals in a vivarium, many times they're just banging at the thrashing really at the glass barrier, trying to get out and, oh. and their stress is just harder for people to understand and interpret. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we were talking just the other, in a recent episode about Kiska, the killer whale at Marineland and, and the dolphins and the blue whales that are kept there for entertainment. And now Canada did pass a law in 2019 saying we can't capture or breed these types of wild animals, you know, whales, cetaceans, you know, belugas and dolphins for entertainment purposes. But what do you think about aquariums and zoos and, uh, and that sort of thing? We think that it's a dying industry, that it's, you know, inhumane to watch animals just for our pleasure, particularly when they're forced to do unnatural things like circus style tricks or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, dolphins in particular. I, I went down to Mexico to see some of these dolphinariums and I couldn't believe uh, how hard these dolphins are working all day people would go and pay a pretty big price to swim with the dolphin for maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And they take their photo and they have probably have no idea that another busload of people are coming in right after them. These are dolphins that are separated from their calves. Uh, they're pulling people like people are literally riding the dolphins and giving yeah. them high fives like they're workers in the system, in a system, in an industry that makes about like makes one to five billion dollars off the backs of these animals. Wow. It's a major industry. And um, I guess, you know, people might appreciate dolphins a little more than a snake because, you know, the the they're they're. they're I don't know, they're exciting for yeah. whatever reason that that makes people think they're exciting. Um, but because they're so <laughs> they're yeah. unfortunate anatomical features, they they smile and, and even when they're suffering and, and oh. that might throw people off that, you know, and they're, they might be playing with the ball and people might think, well, they're smiling, they're playing with the ball. How, how, how harmful is that versus an elephant where you can ch clearly see their the chains around them being whipped. Um, so there's different, you know, welfare is sometimes hard to explain to people what these animals need just to behave naturally. But, you know, the largest aquarium in the world is not big enough for a deep diving, vast roaming creature like a dolphin or a whale. So yeah. we are fully in board, uh, on board with the efforts to um, bring as many as animals as we can to these seaside sanctuaries. Uh, but I think we have to address the root cause of the problem. Sanctuaries are not a viable solution for all of the cetaceans kept for entertainment. Yeah. There are more than 3,500 of them around the world. Sanctuaries? Uh, of, of cetaceans oh. in captivity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Entertainment facilities. Yeah. yeah. And if a seaside sanctuary is to meet best practices for being a humane place where these animals could have a more natural life, they're not going to be able to take in that many. So no. we need to address um, the problem by passing breeding bans like Canada did, encouraging mm -hmm. the other countries to follow Canada's lead there, and uh, also getting travel companies to stop selling tickets to cut off that, that flow of money that's uh, keeping this industry growing. Uh, and I think that's really important for people to understand that those are necessary parts of the solution. You know, I think about the, the whole idea of uh, sentient beings, right? Animals that uh, think and, and feel and express emotions and carry out act different activities and, you know, ha have a structure in their life. And, and, you know, maybe they don't recognize themselves in a mirror, but they have a lot of the same sort of 
uh, characteristics that humans have without maybe the language and without maybe the thinking ahead or, or, or planning capacity and that sort of thing. But they, these are animals that should not be kept in small spaces where they're denied that contact or that ability to carry out their, their biological and, and emotional and uh, functions and community functions and have, having all that, right? It's like incarceration. It is. And exactly that, like they're not able to, dolphins are not able to be dolphins in an aquarium. Uh, Same as elephants. We do a lot of work to try to end elephant riding, uh, which is quite popular in across Asia. Uh, And, and elephants can't behave like natural elephants in these venues that they're kept at to offer this tourist activity. Now, thankfully, a lot of travel companies are are at, including animal welfare in their corporate social responsibility policies, and they're starting to phase out these activities. But we're still at the very beginning of this issue being taken more seriously. Yeah, I mean, we we go to the Omega Zoo, and it's you know one of these places you can drive through with your car, and you see North American animals, and they're you know they seem to be in large enclosures, and they seem to be roaming around, and 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 not hard done by and you can feed different uh, ruminants carrots from your window and things like that and and that no 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 sign of uh, aggression or 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 anxiety amongst these animals but then you know on the drive there you go by the papernak zoo and that's just a horror show right it's the mm-hmm. t- tiny tiny little enclosures with tigers inside and, and and monkeys and things like that it's more like a jail it's it's horrific and then we allow this to happen there is a quite quite a spectrum of different zoos that exist across Canada. And, and we have the, you know, that concern of, of that's what we call roadside zoo, those zoos that are, they really are on the side of a highway. It is, it is. The Um, Papernak Zoo is on the side of the highway to Montreal. And all the enclosures are pretty much the same, no matter if it's a tiger or a monkey, you know, there's no real thought to the different no. species specific behaviors and movements. And so we were, I heard your, your last guest, you had Dr. Lori Marino on your podcast, and it was really great to hear her talk about Bill S241, the Jane Goodall Act, which would really, if passed, change the zoo industry, it would raise the bar for zoos, and it would ensure that zoos really have to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we hear from, you know, our top zoo in Canada, I would say is the Toronto Zoo. And we hear, you know, um, them speak about how the gone are the days where you could keep animals on display. Now, they have to be there for a purpose for conservation research or breeding, so that there's a benefit for the animals in the wild or, or a benefit to the animals themselves. And, mm. and we agree with that, uh, that goal. So it's not a it's not a just a, a blanket ban on this sort of thing. Like I, I've been to the Aquarium du Quebec. They do a lot of research there in rehabilitation of animals. I've been to the Monterey Aquarium, and and they're world leaders in the in the field of uh, research in in different animals. And so is the uh, you know Vancouver Aquarium. Now a lot of these aquariums have moved away from keeping the large citations. You know they don't keep killer whales. They don't keep dolphins. And you know many of them have also you know they don't do the belugas anymore. But, you know, it, it's still something, right? It's still like a, a large watery zoo. I mean, people come and pay money to to, to show up and, and see these things, just like the Ripley Aquarium in Toronto. And, uh, and that money goes back to fund the research. And uh, so it's, it's, it's one way of, of advancing science, I think, for sure. And I don't think the animals are paying the price, because how can you do research on and the benefits of these animals in the wild without... And, and at the same time, 
the animals are suffering in your care? Yeah, I, I think I, you know, I think when there's benefits like that, that's certainly when the, when the benefits outweigh, you know, any cost to the restricted environment of the animal, then that's something certainly, uh, you know, that, that's, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I always like to look at it as like, it's a spectrum, it's a journey, it's a journey to constantly improve animal welfare. And we need to see where is society at right now, we're yeah. not going to make changes overnight. Um, people still treasure their local zoos, we do opinion pools all the time to get a sense of where are people at what could they understand what do they not accept and we're seeing you know a growing um concern over the use of of animals for for entertainment purposes like mm. elephant rides and shows photo opportunities like wildlife selfies uh swim with dolphin experiences those types of activities are going out of favor Mm. and we're also learning like science is continuously evolving on on how these animals cope in captive settings and how we can improve their lives we like to call it you know a life worth living does the animal have a life worth living um or is their suffering so great and sometimes when an animal's psychological suffering is so poor in captivity it, you know, as harsh as it might sound, it might be better for that animal to, to be euthanized. And we've seen animals that are just not well. Um, and so when Kiska passed away recently, you know, it was, yeah. you know, mixed feelings. There was a feeling of relief that she wasn't suffering anymore. Of course, there was sadness that she didn't get to live out her last remaining years at a seaside sanctuary, but there was relief because that environment was just so horrific. Yeah. Um, but it is quite a moral debate, you know, yes. and yeah. you know, I, yeah. I think it's a debate that welcomes all kinds of views and particularly welfare scientists like Dr. Lori Marino. Um, uh, you know, I think she's a psychologist and has done fascinating studies on how animals recognize themselves and like dolphins recognize themselves in a mirror, yeah. um, not which many is do. Really not many do, but they can. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think, you know, look, we're all anyone who has children. We're all, you know, guilty of having taken our kids to marine land in southern Ontario to to witness the uh, dolphin exhibits and and Kiska splash us with her tail and 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 touch the uh, the belugas, you know, and and take the odd a few rides there. But really, the, those are the three those are the three big attractants. And without those animals, I don't think that marine land will will be around much longer. But you know, neither was Barnum and Bailey Three Ring Circus when they lost the elephants. And if you don't evolve to reflect, uh, you know, current knowledge and science, you know, then you probably shouldn't be around anyways. Look, it's people still love circuses. Cirque du Soleil is super popular and there's no animals in that at all. So mm-hmm. it's, it is doable. And I, and I don't think anyone should feel guilty for having visited these places in the past, because like you said, we're learning. Exactly. We're learning. And, you know, we've learned through our uh, focus group research and polling that a lot of these people who buy the tickets would you know, call themselves an animal lover. Mm. So it is a big educational opportunity to share, you know, how the animals might be impacted by an activity that they're doing. We don't want to judge or shame. We've all done things that we've learned. Um, But as you say, there are great non-animal alternatives. Um, I would also say just on the point about, you know, there is something to say about p- being close to animals to make to foster that appreciation in our next generation of conservationists. 
Yeah. Um, but I, a colleague had mentioned this, kids are fascinated by dinosaurs <laughs> and yeah. they've never seen them. So yeah, I yeah. think there are creative ways as well to oh, learn yeah. about animals, to get out in nature, to listen to the bird sounds. I use the Merlin bird app too. Mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about that on your podcast. It's so cool. And I think sometimes it's the storytelling we do. You might go to Algonquin Park to, um, to listen to wolf, wolves howl never catch a glimpse of that that wolf but it's incredible how many people will attend that event like sometimes a thousand people will go out on a Thursday night in August just for the chance not even guaranteed to hear wild wolves howl back from their natural habitat so sometimes I think it's just how the activity is described um, that we can you know capture people's excitement for being in the great outdoors and experience wildlife where they they, you know, where they thrive the best, which is yeah. in the wild. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I mean, just look at the uh, explosive um, popularity of whale watching tours, right? And, and, and the rules that have had to be developed to make sure that all those whale watchers aren't interfering with the whales themselves. It's, it's quite yes. fascinating, but it, it's an evolving, uh, again, with science, they're evolving this and they're learning to understand, you know, that you can't impact their, their environment and their, the way of life by just watching them too. There has to be limits. So uh, Melissa, thank you so much. Uh, we've covered so much territory. We're out of time, but you know, this has been fascinating. Uh, you opened up my mind a lot on, a, on many topics. I uh, appreciate you joining us. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Lawrence. Thank you so much for having me. Melissa, where can people find out more about your, uh, your wild animal campaign? Sure. Our website is worldanimalprotection.ca. And there's a lot of information on there. We have lots of reports, scientific reports, but we also have a number of uh, ways people can take action to, to help animals in all our different campaigns. So hope people go to that page as well. And sign up for the newsletter, you guys, because it's fascinating, these stories you hear about from all over the world and the work World of Animal Protection is doing all over the world. It's, uh, it's amazing. Our actions can influence and impact the future of wildlife, whether in Canada and around the world. We all have that power in our hands, believe it or not. With the decisions we take, the things we endorse, how we spend our money, what we do in our spare time. Live life in one health with nature. And I hope this interview helped you understand what more we can do to achieve that status. Until next time, Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.